Okay, I want to unpack a little bit of an understanding now how we're made. Because in order to, to walk in freedom, we've got to understand a little bit of how God has made us. And so whenever we sit with people to do uh, a prayer, I oftentimes will explain this. We are made according to uh, 1 Thessalonians 5, 23 and 24 in the image of God. And what that means, this is this little concentric circle thing that you see over here on page 42. What this, mean, what this diagram is going to do is show us a little bit of how we're made, how we're built, how we work. If you're fixing a car, you've got to know the, uh, how an internal combustion engine works, for most cars anyway, uh, so that you can approach it correctly. Same thing with us. Okay. First thing I never do is I never, and I never assume anybody knows Jesus. I always explain this to people, and I always invite them to either surrender to him or to surrender again to him because we tend to wander. Um, if it's a first time, then it's salvation has come to that person. If it's a second or third time commitment, then it's just an affirmation of their walk with God, a re-surrender. Uh, and we should, we should have many of those surrender times in our lives because we tend to wander. So what I, I explain, now Paul says uh, as he writes this passage, and, and here it is, Now may the God of peace himself sanctify you entirely, and may your spirit, soul, and body be preserved complete without blame in the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. Faithful is he who calls you, and he also will bring it to pass. Um, um, when, we come down, when we get down to dealing with demonic things, we are made this way. We have a spirit, we have a soul, and we have a body. Your body is your blood, your meat, and your bones. And it's in this section of your blood, your meat, and your bones that for a depressed person, for instance, that we medicate, right? Um, the medication helps your body uh, be a little more resilient to the stresses in your life and, uh, you know, bring you out of your depression a little bit. Uh, your soul, the soul is the area that we counsel. That's where all your memories and all your experiences are stored up in, in your soul. So let me block this up here a little bit. Say, let's just go like this. Someone who's been uh, abused. Memories of your abuse, here you are, right here. Uh, somebody who's been uh, betrayed. You know, a betrayal has happened that's been traumatic. Um, somebody who might have been, there's been rape uh, in their life. There's been abandonment. People who have been uh, dumped or left by people that should have taken care of them. Um, there's been hatred. There's been um, lust, pornography, addictions, whatever it is. Those are, just, those are just elements. This all resides in your soul. Your soul is your mind, your ability to think, your will, uh, your ability to choose, and your emotions. We like to think that we have a, a, the free will to think whatever we want, right? Well, according to Romans 1, we don't. Uh, it says that our minds are darkened by our sin. Our will, we like to think that we have the freedom to choose, right? That we could choose whatever way we want to go. Well, the scripture says we don't. Not left on our own, do you know what I mean? Jesus says in John 6, he says, No one comes to me except the Father draws him. That means unless Jesus came and showed himself to us, we couldn't follow him. 
how many times I've sat with, you know, I've, I've shared a couple of stories. The guy who sat in Alpha at that front table, I'm trying to believe, I just can't. I'm trying. If he had a full, full free will, a full ability to make his own choices, he would have just decided in that moment to believe, but he didn't. Jesus had to come and do a work in him so that he could say yes. So this is what we call, in here we talk about a spirit-empowered response. How when Jesus comes and reveals himself to us, we say yes to him, and in that place, freedom happens. Our emotions, Scripture says in Galatians 5, that when we live for ourselves, our emotions reflect that selfishness. Anger, jealousy, rage, selfish ambition, all that stuff. But when we live by the Spirit, our emotions reflect the fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, gentleness, kindness, etc. Okay. Then we have a spirit. And according to Romans 5, we're born dead. We're not born bad. We're born dead. We're born filled with spiritual darkness because of the lost relationship with God. And so God comes seeking to have that relationship with us. Well, you have to understand, too, then, that we're born in the image of God, body, soul, and spirit. That means that we are born as a trinity. You know, a lot of people don't understand the, the trinity doctrine. If you look at your body, right? Here's my body. I got skin, right? Skin. I got uh, bones, correct? I won't show you my bones right now, because that would hurt. Blood, I got blood too, right? And I won't show you my blood either, because that would hurt too. <laughs> but if you look at God, the Trinity is easily explainable in this manner. Uh, God is three in one, one in three. That's what the Trinity says. Um, just like we are three in one, one in three. Physically, I'm, I, I have three aspects. I got, I got skin, I got bones and meat, and I got blood. And if you take the skin away, I'm going to be dead. It's going to hurt really bad. You take the bones and meat away, um, I'm going to be a bag full of blood. I'm going to be dead. You take uh, the uh, blood away, I'm going to be uh, a bag full of meat and bones. I'm going to be dead. Three aspects of me, you've got to put them all together for me to function and live. So there's three aspects of God. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. So when you think about that, whatever affects one part of me affects all of me. Whatever affects my body, affects my soul, affects my spirit. One of the problems that we struggle with oftentimes is that we think Jesus only came to help us with our soul. And that's the way I felt. When I was about six years old and I gave my life to Jesus, I remember thinking, now I've got to wait until I grow up to experience heaven. Or wait till I die to experience heaven. Because I only saw Jesus as affecting this part of me, the eternal part, the spirit part of me. Here I just sort of had to suck it up and kill time until I died. That's not the case. That's not what Jesus wants to do. Jesus wants to set the whole person free. So, knowing this, when we deal with demonic influences, the way the world, the world doesn't deal well with them, because the way the world deals with them is it deals with it from the outside in. It medicates the body, counsels the soul, and tells us to pick our own spiritual power. And when you pick your own spiritual power, again, because you created it yourself, it means it's less powerful than you are, it ain't going to help you. You're in survival mode. Well, 
when you say yes to Jesus, Jesus does it from the other way. Jesus goes from the inside out. So we say yes to Jesus in the personal relationship with him. It says he comes into us and he gives us life. Where we were dead spiritually, he makes us alive. And then he's not satisfied there. Now he wants more. This is what theologians call the doctrine of, of sanctification. It's the doctrine of increasing surrender to Jesus. Let's take that image and let's transfer it over to here. Pretend this is your life. You're a big old boarding house. Okay? And this is your heart. This is the kitchen right here. Now, my realtor tells me that the average homeowner doesn't, when they buy a house, they don't just park themselves in the kitchen and live there. Anyone here? You bought a house and you only live in a kitchen? No. Me, I'm snooping around the basement. I'm snooping around up in the attic. I'm looking for what the previous owner left behind. You know what I mean? This is what Jesus does. He moves into the kitchen, which is the core of who we are, and then he says, okay, I want to go, I'm, I'm going on a tour now in my house. And he starts touring the house. And he starts going room to room, and he starts saying, I want to look in here, I want to start doing the renovations. And Jesus starts taking ownership of all areas. Let's move back to this image. That's what Jesus does. When he comes into our heart, he gives us spiritual life. And then in the place where my abuse lives, he says, I want access to that place. And through repentance and belief, we say, dear Jesus... Forgive me for trying to manage my abuse on my own. I give this into your hands. I invite you into the midst of my darkness. Where I've been betrayed, Jesus says, I want into that place. Where I had my pornographic struggles, he says, I want into that place. Where I have my addictions, he says, I want into that place. My lusts, I want into that place. My hate, I want into that place. And so goes it. My failures, my abandonment, all that stuff. Jesus says, I want into those places. Because you belong to me, all of that belongs to me too. Jesus basically has us giving him a guided tour of our lives. And so when we deal with dealing with the demonic, the devil hangs on to our lives through these kinds of things. There is only one way to be set free. It is to invite Jesus in here so that we don't, we're not compensating for the devil anymore. We let him deal with it. Does that make sense to you? This is a process of ongoing surrender. And as Jesus wipes this away, the stresses that we live under due to all that unresolved stuff begins to fall away too. And peace comes to the rest of our lives. And we begin to be changed. All right. So the two worldviews, uh, over in 44. One's for ministry. That's the one where Jesus invited, is invited into the middle. And then from the middle, he brings freedom from the inside out. One is for management. I call it sin management. And that's where we try to fix things from the outside in. And I don't know about you, but oftentimes, there have been times in my life, as I look back on it now, I realize how many years I lived in a sin management mode. Just trying not to do the stuff that was already inside of me. Jesus says what's inside a person has to come out. So what do you got to do? Give him the place where it lives inside and let him deal with it. Okay. And we do that through repentance and belief. And that means, so when we're dealing with the demonic, 
We're always, always turning away from our own strength. We're always in that place of repentance and belief. Wherever the enemy says, do it yourself, don't bother God, we say, forget that noise. Lord, I give this to you in Jesus' name. And the interesting thing about God is God goes digging. So maybe you're in an uncomfortable place in your life. I know one of my friends is right now. God's digging in his life. And God is uprooting stuff. And his only option is to just say, Lord, I don't want this to come to the surface, but I'm giving it to you. You do what you want with it. And he's making that choice. And God's, God's going to redeem everything and, and do a healing in him. Anyway. I, wanna exp- I also want to explain the four soils. Now, Remember this, this is the both and thing. Both and. Very, very big. Sometimes we get caught up uh, in, uh, you know, getting too focused on the devil. So when we look at the both and thing, uh, I always go back to the parable of the sower. Parable of the sower, just in short form, a guy goes out to sow, and he sows the word of God, and the word falls on a hard road, and the birds come and eat it up, and it falls on the rocky ground, and it, because it's shallow ground there, it, the plant springs up and then dries up and then dies. And then in the, in the, on the weedy soil, it says that the plant springs up, but the weeds compete with it and choke it out. And so Jesus is speaking about the different soils are the heart of a person. There are different kinds of stages or states that hearts are in. Sometimes our heart is hard, just like the road. And where the heart is hard, he says, you got the devil working. And then he talks about the shallow heart, shallow character. And that rocky ground is basically talking about our shallow, our, our shallow character. It's talking about our personal brokenness. It's talking about the, the, the pressures that we have inside. So maybe you have self-hatred, maybe you have unforgiveness in yourself, maybe you've been hurt uh, by somebody, you carry that hurt inside you, uh, maybe you've been rejected, whatever. That's our inside pressures. I call it the flesh. And then there's a third element, the weedy ground, and that's the outside pressures. Could be peer pressure, could be financial pressure, could be family pressures, could be all kinds of different things. Um, We have all three of these things. So if you're struggling with some of your stuff, and I remember I had a Pentecostal guy I was listening to one time, and he said, you know what the problem with us Pentecostals is? I said, what? Tell me. He says, we think we can cast everything out. Now I got news for you, he says, you can't cast out the flesh. Flesh has to go to the cross. Good point. You can't cast everything out. See, when we come with an either-or mentality, we can get looking at this. Well, the devil made me do it. It's all the devil's fault. We blame the devil for everything. Guess what? It's not all the devil's fault. The devil has to have something to work with. Well, other people come and they say they're, they're what, what we call... Ploms. Anyone know what a plom is? Poor little old me. They're a poor little old me. You know, we had a plum tree in our backyard. Ha, ha, ha. Anyway, poor little old me. Ah, uh, yes. These are the kind of people that say, you know what? It's all my fault. I'm a dirtbag. Everybody should hate me. I'm going to go eat worms and die. If I was out of the picture, everything would be better off and everybody's problems would be fixed. Well, guess what? You're not that bad. Can't take responsibility for everything. There's other people that 
that they come along and they blame everybody else. Well, it's the government. It's the system. It's the world. It's those people, that people. They're all at fault. Well, guess what? No, you can't do that either. That's a victim mentality too. There is a mixture of these things that we struggle with. So any, any area where the devil is involved, guess what? The devil has to have something to work with. And the devil finds his place to play right there. The devil works in the realm of the flesh and the world. Of our inside baggage, he's the ultimate psychologist. He knows what your baggage is. He knows what buttons to push. And he knows how to bring outside pressure against you to push your buttons. So there is a dynamic interplay involved here. Now, I, I usually draw it out this way. I was living uh, in Mission, B.C. at one point, and uh, I had built this sandbox for my daughter. So there you go, there's the sandbox. And uh, one night, one afternoon, she comes up to me and she's got this little black thing in her hands. She goes, Daddy, what's this? And I'm going, give me that. That's cat poop. I got cats pooping in my fresh sandbox, my brand new sandbox that's taking me off. So I got my cat. Well, let's give them those big old devil horn ears, right like that. I got my cat pooping in my sandbox. Now, the cat represents the devil, okay? The sandbox represents the world and the flesh. The devil is pooping in my sandbox right there, ticking me off. I'm going to get my shotgun. I'm going to plant myself right beside that thing, and I'm going to blast every cat that comes along. Right? That makes me even matter yet, because not because that kind of thought comes to my mind, because, because I know I'm not, going to do, I'm not going to be able to do it. Because guess what? There's more than one cat. And I can sit there all night long, but i got to sleep at some point in time, and then they're going to poop in my sandbox again. People, when we get dealing with the devil... It's very easy to get ticked off at him for what he does and get very focused on getting rid of him. You hear what I'm saying? It's very easy to get ticked off on what he does and get very focused on getting rid of him. And we can become demon-focused. And if you become demon-focused, the devil will suck your joy away. You see, he, you may be able to blast a few demons all right, and you will. But he doesn't like his demons. He ain't God. He hates his demons. And he doesn't mind feeding you a number of them, or however many it needs, to keep you focused, to keep you angry, and to suck your joy away. If your focus is on the devil, you will lose the joy that Christ can give you. Your focus needs to stay on Jesus. So how do we deal with this devil then? Well, down the road from us was... Uh, um, uh, Kindergarten teacher, preschool teacher. And she had an amazing preschool. My daughter went there. And um, so I went to pick her up one day. And I noticed she had a sandbox. But her sandbox was special. Because on her sandbox was a cover. And I just, ooh, it just ticked me right off because... Here, I've been sitting up at nights trying to blast cats. She puts a cover on the sandbox at the end of the day, goes home, sleeps in peace, 
Doesn't have to worry about cats in her sandbox. Comes back in the morning, opens the sandbox, the kids play in it, use it for what it's made for, and she just does it that way. Well, over at her place, the cats weren't so happy. Do you know what the cover represents? The cat's the devil, the sandbox, the world, and the flesh. What's the cover? The blood of Jesus. The blood of Jesus which cancels our sin. The blood of Jesus which covers us over. Presence of Christ that we hide ourselves in. Remember, when we deal with the demonic, it's not about focusing on the devil. It's about taking our flesh and our world and putting them under the protection of Jesus so that this guy's access is removed. And that way, our focus is just on the surrender to Jesus. And the cats, you know what? They'll wander the yard, they'll be around, but they won't have access to the sandbox. The goal isn't to keep all the, de all the devils out of the yard, out of the, all the cats out of the yard. It's to keep them out of the sandbox. So we want to keep our eyes on Jesus. You know, I want to share with you a fairly dramatic story. It's not about the demon. It's about surrender to the lordship of Jesus. I was sitting in a seminar like this, and somebody stuck up their hand, and they said, what about when a person is so demonized that they can't be set free? I said, what do you mean? Well, we prayed with somebody, and uh, he manifested demons. Um, and, uh, and the person that was leading the prayer ministry, it got very violent, and he began to bleed. He was screaming so loud, he began to bleed at his, his throat. And finally, the person who was leading the, uh, the deliverance just said, he's too demonized, he can't be free, and she shut it down. What do you have to say about that? And I said, I'll tell you what I got to say about that. The person doesn't know what they're doing. You're telling me that Jesus can't cast out this demon? You're telling me this. I don't know what I'm saying. Well, you know what? Talk to me afterwards. So she comes up afterwards, and along with her comes a young man, and he says, I'm the guy. And I'm just demonized. I'm just demon-possessed. And I'm just, I'm so bad that even Jesus can't take care of me. So I've just got to live with this now. I've just sort of set, squared myself away. I'm going to have to live with this. I said, no, you don't. You want some freedom. We can have freedom? Yep. Yeah, I would. I said, okay. I said, you come here, and uh, I'm going to go get a prayer partner, and we're going to meet. And uh, as soon as I said that, he started to manifest right in front of me. And the manifestation that he had was a very interesting manifestation. You know how some, you, know, you wink your eye? You know, like that, your cheeks crinkle up over here. Well, suddenly he had chunks of his face crinkling in on themselves, spasming in on themselves like this, you know. And I'm going like, I rebuked that in Jesus' name. And I did. I looked right at him. I rebuked that in Jesus' name. You stop that right now. And he calmed right down. I said, I'm going to get a prayer partner, and I'm going to come back, and we're going to pray. Okay. He goes into a room. We sit down. I get my prayer partner, and we sit down to pray. We spent the next three quarters of an hour, and I just said, we're going to start giving stuff to Jesus. What have you been doing? Start writing down a list. What are you involved in? All the areas of sin in his life that we could think of. Lord, show my young brother what has he been involved in. 
You know what? One of the key things that he brought up, he said, I got between two men. They were two church leaders, and they were fighting one another, and I decided that I would be the one to heal the relationship. He became codependent. He took on responsibility to fix these two men. And, and, and the two men, church leaders, I'm telling you, pastors, two pastors, used him as a pawn in a chess game. Back and forth, back and forth, until finally he was so angry he left the church. The two pastors, as far as I know, never did make up. But he became so embittered, and it was in that time and that place that these things really began to take over his life. Where Satan found something, found an opening to gain access. I said, you know what, are you ready to forgive these guys? And he starts manifesting again. And I'm going, I bind that, stop that in Jesus' name. Settles down. Are you ready to forgive these guys? Just let them go. What they did was wrong, it was evil. you got to let them go. Are you ready to renounce your codependency? Taking on responsibility for stuff you can't take on responsibility for? Yep. Okay, pray with me. Stop that in Jesus' name. You find yourself doing this, you know. Stop that in Jesus' name. And he settles down. And every time the thing tried to flare, stop that in Jesus' name. And he settled down. But we don't get fixed on the demon. Stop that in Jesus' name. I'm talking to somebody. Stand aside. Okay, let's talk. And I said, you're going to pray with me. I'm going to help you with the words, and we're going to surrender stuff to Jesus. We spent three quarters of an hour giving stuff to Jesus. Forgive me, Lord, for where I took on responsibility to fix these two pastors. Dear Jesus, forgive me for the anger at this guy who used me and this guy who used me. I forgive them. I release them into your hands. Forgive me for hating them. I forgive them. I forgive myself. Dear Jesus, now a bunch of other stuff he went through as well. And at the end of this confessional time, he, uh, he, uh, I just said to him, I said, okay, we're, we're, we're just, I think, at the end now. I said, I want you to just rest. We're going to command some stuff to leave you. James says, you humble yourself and you resist the devil and the devil will flee. So in the humbling, that's the confessional part. That's where you cast yourself in the mercy of God. The resisting part is where you take authority as Jesus did and said, now go from him in Jesus' name. So I said, you just rest now. You don't have to do anything. And I said, now evil spirit in Jesus' name. And he just goes, you, you know, and he starts to manifest. You get out of this man's life and you leave him alone and don't come back in Jesus' name. I pierce you with the sword of the Holy Spirit. I command you to go in Jesus' name. And it peeled off of him and it left the room and we could feel it leave. Prickling sensation all down one side. You just felt it, felt it go. And he sat up manifestation stopped, he recommitted his life to Christ, and he walked out in freedom. And I've done the follow-up with him. He walked out in freedom. Now, the first time that they decided to do a little bit of a, a exorcism with him, <laughs> I'll, tell you, I'll tell you how, the, the, just the, the side of the story, um, again, what the problem was is they just attacked the demons. The girl who said, well, we tried to pray it out of him and it wouldn't go, and we decided he was too demonized to be, ever be set free. All they did was attack the demon. Well, I said, well, tell me what you did. Well, we sat down and we just said, now, if there's any demons in this man, we command you to manifest. And all hell broke loose. Thrash and bash all over, bust furniture, scream, yell, holler, hold them down, command in Jesus' name, screaming and hollering, bleeding, 
My gosh. Okay, okay, we got to stop it. Stop this all in Jesus' name. You are too demonized to be free. And that's how they did it. All they did was attack the demon. They didn't focus on the surrender to Jesus. The surrender to Jesus. What we did was we took three quarters of an hour to do a tour of his house, a tour of his life, to give stuff to Jesus. And as Jesus entered those places and exerted his lordship in those places over those areas, the demons lost their grip. There was no thrash and bash. There was no screaming. There was no bleeding throats. There was none of that stuff. It was just, it's awesome manifestation. Stop that in Jesus' name. We're not talking to you anyhow. Deal with you at the appropriate time. Talk to the young man. Okay, let's keep giving stuff to Jesus. The focus is on surrender to Jesus. People, you know what? Deliverance is about the deliverer. It's not about the demon. Okay? Um, I can't emphasize that enough. Primary tactic of the demonic is to get your focus and dependence off of Jesus and onto yourself or onto itself. Jesus called the disciples focus back when it needed to be. Uh, remember how he refocused them in Luke 10. He sent them out, right? He said, go heal, go cast out demons, all that stuff. Well, the 70 returned with joy saying, Lord, even the demons are subject to us in your name. You know, this is fun. When you see a demon leave somebody, you're going like, yes, yes, forget the gray cup and all that kind of stuff. This is fun, you know? And you can lose your focus, and they did. And he said to them, I was watching Satan fall from heaven like lightning. Behold, I have given you authority to tread on serpents and scorpions and over all power of the enemy and nothing will injure you. Nevertheless, do not rejoice in this, that the spirits are subject to you, but rejoice that your names are recorded in heaven. You know what? I've watched kids do this kind of ministry with this kind of instruction. Welcome to EPM 2. I've watched kids take that instruction and use it with their friends and see results. Listen to this. At that time, he rejoiced greatly in the Holy Spirit and said, I praise you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that you have hidden these things from the wise and intelligent, and you have revealed them to infants. Yes, Father, for this was well-pleasing in your sight. All things have been handed over to me by my Father, and no one knows who the Son is except the Father, or who the Father is except the Son and anyone to whom the Son reveals him. Jesus has given this kind of ministry to the simple people, of which I am one. You don't have to be a souped-up professional. You just have to know how to help somebody surrender stuff to Jesus. Oh, and by the way, Satan, your, your time is over now because Jesus has taken his place. We command you only because Jesus did. We don't discuss with you. We just command you in Jesus' name, go where he sends you. Come, Holy Spirit, and fill a house. Come, Holy Spirit, in Jesus' name. Okay.